Welcome everybody to another episode of V Brown Bag. Today we have uh, VCAP 6 uh, DCV, Data Center Virtualization, uh, designed, and we're going to be covering Objective 3.1 with Joe Clark at El Guapo. Did I say that right, Joe? Yes, you did. It's El Guapo. You got it. El Guapo. I love it. Uh, I'm just going to say some things that we have to cover, and I'll let you do your introduction and presentation. So. B Brown Bag, you can get um, you can get in on the conversation using the handles. Uh, in this particular uh, presentation, this is for at B Brown Bag EMEA, which is where we're doing the VCAP uh, design. You can send any questions to hashtag B Brown Bag. You can ping me while the the presentation is going on, or if you're an attendee, you can raise up your hand and then we'll open up the microphone for everybody. Um, so with that, I'm going to uh, send control over to Joe and. Uh, Take it away. All right, very good. Thanks, Ariel. Just want to make sure you're seeing my screen okay here. It's looking perfect. All right, fantastic. Okay, thanks, Ariel. Yeah, um, wanted to quickly go over the agenda for today. I only got uh, about 30 slides or so, so not a lot. This is kind of a shorter section in the 3v0622, so there's only a couple bullet points, but there's actually a lot to unpack inside of those bullet points, so I just want to make sure we go through that. So the quick agenda is I just wanted to introduce myself. I want to sort of talk about the objectives, like where you can find information about them, do a quick conceptual, logical, physical uh, design criteria uh, refresher, and then actually take a look at the exam topics and, you know, sort of how those break down. So again, I'm Joe Clark, I'm out of Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm a principal architect at Rolta Advisics. I have a VCDX DTM, uh, recently a VCIX DCV, and I'm candidating for the VCDX6. You can follow me on Twitter at El Guapo, and my blog is elguapo.com. And again, just really appreciative to, to be here and be able to give back. All right, so out of introduction into the objectives. So if you guys Google the test name, right, 3v0622, one of the first things that you're going to come across is the MyLearn page, which basically has the breakdown of all the, of all the, um, the exam topics, right? So you've got section one, two, and three, and today we're covering section objective 3.1, talking about transitioning from a logical design to a physical design. So as you can see, there's a bunch of other objectives beneath this one, 3.2 and so on and so forth, which actually drill into the you know, various capabilities of the physical design attributes. So today we're gonna to be talking about 3.1. And so it's important because again, this is just a small section and there's not a ton of technical things in the section we're talking about today, right? What we are actually looking at is what we've got highlighted on the screen here, right? And this is just pasted straight from that web page. We're looking at uh, being able to analyze design decisions, determine impact, um, and basically look at roles and figure out in an organization what matters to who. And there's a couple links to some resources that are down there um, that are you know, pretty important for making sure. And those are kind of disclaimers is what I've sort of found that VMware will basically say, hey, those are you know, pretty much the manuals for pretty much everything. The conceptual logical physical is actually a you know, theoretical document, which I didn't get a ton of value out of. I found more value out of the host management and administration guide, but that's, that's sort of where we are with that. 
All right, I wanted to point out quickly as well that if you were on a couple weeks ago with Paul Craddock, he did a great job of talking about section 2.1, analyzing requirements for functional and non-functional elements, right? Building non-functional requirements into a specific logical design. This is sort of the precursor to what we're talking about in section 3.1. So if you guys want to revisit that, it's a great one to look at right before jumping into this one. So again, the three things that we're going to be looking at, analyze design decisions and options uh, selected from the logical design. So basically, that's examining the choices that we've made logically and understanding the impact, right? Determining the impact of risks, constraints, and assumptions, in other words, how do we operate within whatever the, the problem statement is that the customer has given us? You know, whether that's a constraint, how do we properly identify risks? And then third, how do we sort of communicate or understand what's important to different roles within an organization? So I wanted to start again with the conceptual, logical, physical refresher. And this is a, a drawing from bcdx133.com, one of Remy's posts, which is absolutely fantastic. I like the way he sort of broke it down. Usually you end up seeing this pyramid just being conceptual at the top, logical in the middle, and physical at the bottom. And this, those top four sections there sort of illustrate the conceptual. So what is really conceptual, right? It's basically, if you were gonna try to explain to someone, what are you doing? what's the purpose behind this? What would you say you do here? Why are we even doing this? Is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? These are all sort of things that should be answered under conceptual, right? So understanding big picture, I, I like to think of this like an executive, right? Like, so either a stakeholder or a C-level that's basically saying, you know, I really don't care about the nuts and bolts. What I want to understand is the return to the business, why we're doing what we're doing, is it a good idea, is it a bad idea? And just sort of looking for that executive summary, right? So conceptual goals uh, or, you know, conceptual business goals and customer requirements drive down into logical design decisions, right? And obviously, the more technical in nature they get, the further in this pyramid you end up getting. Stretching down into the logical design decision, right, is where we basically have to use logic and apply logical decisions to the problem statements, their requirements. Um, observing constraints and assumptions at the same time to make sure that we are constructing a solution, right, that is going to make logical sense for the customer and is in alignment with the business goals at the end of the day, right? So using logic. And then sort of when we get to the engineering side of things, right, we need to have a talk about the cabling infrastructure, CAT5 or CAT6, the more the better, right? That's definitely an engineering-focused question, right, one that's sort of you know, dorky and, you know, meme but it's, it's true. The physical design decisions are ones that engineers care about typically and want to see connected with the logical, right? So, uh, you know, cabling choices and port diagrams, IP addresses, things like that, uh, often, and uh, server brands, right? Those often end up falling into the physical design decisions uh, bucket. So what we're going to end up looking got, at for the most of this... Joe, I love yeah. the way you're putting in, you know, those little memes and stuff. Perfect, man. This is great. Yeah, no problem. I, I, these, uh, I, I love memes, so they're they're sprinkled throughout, guys. So you got to pay attention if you wanna if you wanna catch them all, I guess. So, 
Yeah, but uh, my favorite one is this one, though, because, I mean, honestly, like I've seen executives sit across from the table in a couple meetings and looking pretty much exactly like this, like, why am I, why do I even care? <laughs> right, with that sort of what is this bringing to the business, right? So, I mean, like, they, they really don't care about uh, technical nonsense, uh, quote unquote, right? Because yeah. from their opinion, they want to understand how they're going to be better enabled. Um, and, and, that's, and that's covered a little bit further up in the exam objectives. It's just good to keep it in mind because you have to sort of follow that path down into the logical physical and make sure that you're making good decisions that are in alignment with those goals. And, and this is why we love having VCDXs doing these topics because they, they've seen the real world applications of this. Thank you. Go ahead. Absolutely. And then, so point being today, we're going to be focusing in the transition from logical to physical and those design uh, and those objectives for this design exam. So one of the ways I like to coin a conceptual design is if my grandma was a C-level and I had to explain what we were doing, how would I explain it? So, you know, for example, virtualization, uh, I had to have this conversation, wow, a long time ago with an ESX3 project when we were basically explaining what virtualization was to executive management. And they said, you're doing what? And we basically had to say, we're going to take the servers, we're going to smash them down, and we're going to put them on you know, another server. We're going to put a lot of them on there and it's going to save you some money. And they're like, oh, well, that's great. We'll do that. Yeah, of course you would do that. Why wouldn't you do that? And then they were on board, right? But it's like, if I have to basically like think not, you know, simplification of, you know, what we're doing, but communicating in clear terms that pretty clearly define what it is they're doing. And very rarely have I seen executives want to know the nuts and bolts. Um, when we're talking about this, a lot of times it ends up then going down into VP and management level where we start talking about functional and non-functional requirements, right? We've sort of established what we're doing and the requirements end up dictating, okay, well, what choices are we making out of this, right? So I know in, in 2.1, we sort of covered this at length, but a functional, a functional requirement, the way I sort of end up describing it is, does it do something yes or no? And this is something that you are definitely going to have to have a firm understanding of to be successful in the exam. Uh, example, um, does the solution provide a platform that is supported by the application vendor? Yes or no, right? That is a perfect example of a functional requirement. Example of a non-functional, right? Requires specific criteria to judge the system. How well or fast does it do it? In other words, if we're looking at attributes of how well something works, um, that would be a non-functional type requirement. For example, storage throughput measured in IOPS. We need 20,000 IOPS for this database application. Okay, cool. Let's talk about you know that how fast it's going to work and what kind of latency is acceptable uh, in order to reach those IOPS numbers. So those are those are non-functional requirements. So I have a good example of this, right? And this is kind of one of those uh, play along at home moments for you guys. So. This is a conversation I may or may not have had with my own wife about a conceptual requirement where the sliding door was broken. While the handle was broken, uh, the lock didn't lock very easily. You needed to jiggle it at least twice, and it was uh, super annoying to close. So the primary complaint was, hey, at least it the door takes at least a couple tries to lock. Is this a functional or a non-functional attribute? So I actually had the, this was a, a point of contention for a little bit, but I was like, well, hey, this is a non-functional conversation. I think we can sort of kick this one down the road a little bit because at the end of the day, the door locks. So the door is functioning as its purpose. It's keeping the cold out. It's, 
locking to keep bad guys out at night. So uh, non-functional. So I didn't really uh, get very far with that one though, guys. I, w- I ended up making that trip to Home Depot same day. Um, and then on the and then on the flip side of the equation, if we're looking at conceptually another door, uh, which is broken, right? The handle's attached to this one, but the glass is on the ground in tiny pieces. Also, the door is not attached to the house. Primary complaint, the door doesn't keep people out at night, right? Is that a functional or a non-functional attribute? Well, that's primarily functional, right? Because this is not an attribute of how well it's actually working. This is a go, no go, succeeds or fails type uh, requirement. So it's important to keep this, uh, that thought process in mind as you go through the exam. I also wanted to throw out an example conceptual design diagram just so that we had a good idea of what we're looking at from uh, what, what a design diagram might look like at each of these different phases, right? So this diagram is speaking very, very conceptually in nature, right? And I've, you know, grayed out these names here to, to protect the innocent and all that. But it looks like we've got some, you know, business critical applications that exist primarily in one site and are, uh, you know, run out of a DR site during times of failure. And there's sort of an active hot standby, partial active thing going on. But this is just basically to say um, a conceptual design diagram, diagram should answer the questions, where are my services from a service perspective? Where do those exist? And what, how are these guys going to fail over? How are these guys going to work um, when you're actually going between data centers if there's some sort of a failover? Um, conceptually, what pieces are involved? Very, very generic, right? Storage application is for file only. Those are some of the things that are picked up there. So if we step down into the logical diagram, I like to say this frequently out loud when, whenever we're talking about this, that you should be able to create a logical design entirely from the VMware stencils. Meaning there's no Dell, HP, EMC, there's, there's none of those logos anywhere featured in these decks. And part of that is simply because VMware is a software company, right? They run on so many different types of hardware that we should be able to say, hey, as a part of a logical design, we need to be able to pick the pieces out and sort of identify what we need concept, uh, logically before we break down into the physical, hey, we need this server, we need these cables, uh, we need all these other things. So a logical design, right, answers what are the pieces of software in play and how are they connected? Without naming any vendors, what are the pieces of hardware in play? And we've got pictures of those off to the side. How much resource is required in terms of processor, memory, storage, throughput, and capacity? Simply answering the question, you know, it's more attributed to the workload than it is to actually the platform itself. You know, hey, logically, is there, you know, APIs that need to talk to each other? Um, what are, you know, how is this thing going to be connected? And what are the pieces in play, right? And if it's a business process, logically, we need to name the procedure and the stops without naming, you know, Jerry in accounting or so-and-so in purchasing, right? Like it's, it's naming the process, abstracted out from the people and saying, logically, the workflow goes like this. So I've got another picture of an example logical design diagram where basically we've got some, uh, we've got a distributed virtual switch. We've got four uplinks on it. We've got a blade enclosure and a couple network modules inside that blade enclosure. Uh, we've got a fabric interconnect and some uplinks from fabric interconnect out to an FC storage network. 
and to uh, a course switching uh, Ethernet network. So this is just logically showing, hey, this is about how we would configure a host to be uplinked to the network, right? This is not a, here's your um, switch ports on the switch and what we're plugged into. This is basically just saying, hey, how's it gonna be connected, right? So we've got four cables, right? This would answer that question. Well, how many cables are going from the enclosure to the fabric? Well, for this design, we've answered that question, right? It's logical, and that's gonna be based on the amount of throughput that we estimate is gonna be required from the enclosure to the fabric interconnect. Why one, two, three, or four? Well, that should be answered as a part of the logical design decisions that you've made and you know whether what the requirements are, how much bandwidth is needed, so on and so forth. So then if we step down into the physical design, that's gonna name your OEM components, hookups, and specifics. So I just listed some of the typical physical design attributes, things that are oftentimes included with the physical design. Um, real world experience for me has shown that it's not all that often that we actually are afforded the time in a design exercise to actually name all of these out, including like port maps and IP addresses and everything like that. Sometimes, depending on the level of effort for the design exercise, we simply do conceptual, logical, and like physical light, or we might do a cabling diagram or something like that, but uh, it takes a lot of time to break down and document all the physical design attributes. Um, but the important ones, right, are, hey, what, what kind of boxes are we buying? What kind of storage are we using? You know, what are the makes and models? Those are things that are all important and a big part of it. And an example of a physical design diagram is one like this, and it's, it's not perfect, but it's basically demonstrating that, hey, this is the actual make and model of a RAID card. This is the model of the network card. This is the model of the server. These are the proc counts. This is the memory. These are you know what's actually connected. This is the version of software that's installed on it. And it's very, very specific and detailed, even down to saying you know what ports are we uplinking to from our fabric, right? So a physical design diagram, looking at that should be very detailed in nature. Oftentimes they are, you know, a layout of a rack perhaps, and literally cables, you know, physical cables wiring from A to B, where they plug in, where they integrate with. Okay, so we have any, uh, any questions out there at this point in time before we transition into the objectives? We yeah. kind of stay up on uh, Twitter while we're out there as well. Yeah, no, we, we don't have any questions. I'm loving your presentation, by the way, and the examples and the fact that you brought in, you know, this is a logical diagram, this is a physical diagram. Uh, I'm just, you know, monitoring the, the attendees. If any of them wants to put out a question, uh, you can raise up your hand, but otherwise it looks fine. Awesome, cool. <laughs> so objective number one, right? Analyze design decisions and options selected from the logical design. So, you know, when I was taking this test, I literally ended up just summing through every single objective, looking it up, Googling it, and making sure I had a good understanding of at least what it was talking about. Um, because I've, I've done this before when, when it was the VCAP 5, right? So, you know, not a, not a super amount has changed from 5 with the design principles and everything in the way that VMware has done it. Um, but this, this one actually kind of threw me a little bit. I was like, okay, analyze design decisions and options selected from the logical design. So basically what I got out of that was, well, what are some of the things that we might talk about, right? Well, cluster sizes and resource requirements is one, you know, integration of this, this talks to this, you know, questions like why multiple clusters, why or why not use a 
distributed service. Um, and I wanted to put this quote up here from Steve Jobs, right? That deciding what not to do is as important as deciding what to do. And I thought that was, that was really important because I feel like one of the things that gets left out a lot of times in design conversations is the fact that something should be kept as simple as possible throughout the process of, you know, a design exercise. Because if you build a super complex, massively difficult to operate um, system, going to be really really difficult you know six months a year two years when you go to either upgrade or pieces of it break and you're trying to understand why you did what you did so i try to adhere to the keep it simple stupid and you know that some people don't like saying that so i just put the steve jobs quote up but then i just said it so oh well um <clears throat> some people don't like that but hey you know i've been in plenty of dr exercises that are live and in the fire where people have said, you know what, I'm really glad that we just did it, you know, a simple way that we knew would function. And, you know, we are happy with the output of the of the design as a result of that. So analyzing, you know, the design decisions as they trickle down from logical to physical, I had to just sort of come up with these, right? And anybody that's done uh, the VCDX knows the, the ampers, right, which is that um, the breakdown. So the A in ampers, right, which is what I call it. Some people call it ramps. I think uh, Paul called it ramps. I end up calling it ampers because it's what I, you know, drilled into my own head over the years. So that's fine. Uh, the A stands for availability, right? So for example, how does my server OEM choice impact availability? Is there credibility with one OEM over another one? Uh, is, you know, is there something that is going to impact the availability of my services and my platform that I'm choosing, right? So that might be an example of logical to physical. Why would I buy brand X over brand Y, right? Manageability, something like how does my network switches, the choice of that, how does that affect manageability? That should say manageability there at the end. But you know, if you've got skills in-house at managing a specific type of network gear and you're gonna bring in new network gear as a part of a new initiative, how does that impact manageability? How does that impact the people's ability to continue to uh, perform changes, updates, and all that to the gear, right? And there might be some training involved. How easy is it to keep that gear running and operate it post-installation, gear or solution, right? Um, performance, right? Something very specific in this example I thought of was, hey, like, how does my processor clock speed impact performance? You know, everyone, it seems like over the years, has always wanted to talk about, you know, virtual uh, you know, virtual CPUs to physical cores and there being some sort of magic number. There just isn't. Um, and the fact that processor clock speed often ends up getting overlooked is a part of that, right? If you read uh, lots of Mark Ashutuk's, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, performance blogs, uh, he'll go into a lot of these things at length, you know, with, you know, NUMA and all that. And a lot of those things are covered in subsequent objectives as, as you step down through the list, right? But this is basically saying, hey, as we're transitioning, we need to keep in mind how this affects the primary attributes of design. Recoverability, right? Hey, how does my secondary storage vendor impact my time to recovery? Uh, that, that might be something. So in other words, if you just have, you know, a little consumer grade storage array that you're using as secondary storage and you want to restore from that, well, what happens if you had to restore everything? What then? How long is that going to take? Can you do that inside of your RTO? Those are those are serious questions that you need to be able to answer as a part of it. You know, how do my physical choices and uh, impact you know the overall design? And that goes back to you know what would you say you do here? And people being mad about something either met or not met as a part of a project, because if you define it well up front, 
it's going to be a lot easier down the road when you're trying to decide between, well, is 7.2K or is flash required from a disk perspective? It really depends on the requirements that were dictated up front. Security, right? You know, so maybe how does reusing old gear that cannot be updated from an out-of-band management perspective bring risk to the project? Uh, that that might be something that is is a concern to someone. Um, you know, and then the last one that I put in because I really feel like you know Ampers is one, but you know the almighty cost is a massive driver for decisions, and that is a huge one that I've seen throughout you know my experience in designing and architecting solutions for customers. So I just wanted to make sure that I threw that one. In. In there why is one option more expensive than another people want to know this right I mean if I am licensing it a particular way or I just need more better gear more resource those are all fantastic things to keep in mind okay one of the VCDX tips that I have is sort of fuzz the design right and this is if you are you if you're going for this test chances are you might be going for your VCDX so if that's the case, I would encourage you to do that very much so. It's been a massively awesome impact in my life. Um, but what I wanted to tell you is uh, fuzzing the design is where you go on the offensive. And that's where my own, de my own definition of it is go on the offensive like you didn't design it. Like you're trying to like poke holes in it and say, well, why didn't you do this? You know, well, what a cost change. Well, what are some of the alternatives? Why, why didn't you do this? You know, and sort of go on the offensive like you're actually defending it yourself. And that's and that's actually proved to be you know really useful to try to just pull yourself away from it, go take a coffee break, print it out, and then go at it with you know a red sharpie. So I wanted to point out as a part of this too that there are some great resources out there. If any of you guys have not heard of the VMware Validated Designs, there are some fantastic examples of what I call break it down and sum it up. And this is basically where if you're going to make a logical design decision that transitions down to a physical. This is where you're basically asking a question like, for example, this design decision is, hey, are we going to leverage a, a standard switch or a distributed switch, right? And this is more of a logical design decision, but the same applies for physical as well. So this is where we're looking at the decision and saying, okay, how does this manage the design quality? Is it a positive impact? Is it a negative impact? Or is it no impact? Right, so for this example, a virtual switch, both standard and distributed, they're both available. They both provide, you know, no impact on quality in, in terms of availability. Right, so understanding this and basically going through each of these and saying, well, you know what, we didn't think about this. This is sort of a formulaic way that you can actually go through and say, you know what, we want to make sure that we are um, documenting not only the decision but the qualities around them. And this, these are great because these these sort of show people at the end, hey, you know. It's not like we just said, well, we're doing this and this is why. This is a best practice, right? And, and we'll talk about that later, right? Like there's no such thing as a best practice, right? Really, in my opinion, it's just people that have done it and found things that work a little bit better than others. So, uh, th so that last one was the break it down. This one is sort of the sum it up, right? Which is where basically they've got another great example, right? Of a design decision, right? And why you did what you did. And what I wanted to point out on this slide was the design justification. And this is this is super handy um, it, when you're actually going through breaking down those logical design decisions into physical, because it allows you to sort of give a one sentence defense of your decision, right? Why did you end up doing this? You know, well, maybe we got pinned into a corner by a certain set of constraints and this was the only available method that would actually work. There you go, that's your justification, right? Maybe we were pinned into the corner by cost and we had to reuse gear that only supported software at certain levels. 
fine. That's fine. That's your justification, you know, and that's, and, but it's understanding, well, why did you do this anyway? Right. And that sort of one sentence summary, it does a really good job of saying, Hey, this is, this is a good reason of why you did what you did. So that's what I got for objective one. So I'm just going to keep barreling through Ariel. Uh, go ahead and stop me if there's any questions at any point in time. Um, and I'll just let everybody get a chance to read that because that was the first thing I did when I saw this image, which was uh, risk management. You really need to do some. Um, when I was reading the, the bullet point that says determine the impact of VMware best practices to identified risks, constraints, and assumptions, basically what it was is, so you're going to come into obstacles of constraints and risks, and you're going to have to make some assumptions moving forward. So being able to say what's going to happen looking forward is extremely important, being able to identify that, right? So understanding the impact of those risks is, is super important. And again, I don't really like the term best practice, and I understand why uh, it's sort of a no-no in a VCDX defense, uh, because it's almost always based on previous experience that has either been successful or unsuccessful. And it's, it's one thing to have, you know, the author of software tell you, hey, it's the best practice to do this because of the way the code was written. That's that's one thing. But the way that VMware works is, you know, there's, you know, so many different ways that you can set up an infrastructure that it's like, okay, well, it's not like you say, well, it's the best practice to do it this way because it's documented as a best practice. You have to understand why it is someone arrived at that conclusion. Now, you don't have to get down to the coding level and understand exactly why you know, VMware's coded things a certain way or another, but you do have to understand what the design impacts are of the way you implement a software solution. So you have to be able to explain the characteristics, right, of something you deem a best practice and why that is. For example, if you think it's a best practice for a server to have multiple network interfaces, that's kind of a no-brainer, right? It's because if you lose one of them, uh, it's gonna go down. Well, what if you only had one top or X switch? What if that was all that was available in the budget? Is it still a best practice? Well, sure, yeah, it's a, it's a best practice to possibly have two different switches to connect to, right? Well, that's not possible. Well, then you can say that, right? But you're, it's gonna be depending on what you're looking at from a design, you know, a design scenario. So with constraints, assumptions, and risks, again, trying to look forward, you, you kind of have to put on your thinking hat and say, all right, well, assumptions lead to risk. Assumption, right, is sort of a guess saying, well, we're, we think this is what's going to happen, but we're not entirely sure. Constraints can lead to risks. If we are pigeonholed into using, you know, perhaps reusing old gear or, um, you know, there's, there's constraints around versions of software that can be leveraged with licensing, and that can potentially lead to risks and risks risks lead to suffering, right? So that's, it is totally true. And I've seen this again and again, where um, more often than not on large design engagements, I end up feeling like a referee where I'm just like a professional risk flagger, where you basically end up saying, no, don't do that because look down the road and this is where it's going to end up leading you, right? You, if you, if you think you thought through to conclusion and you don't plan for the future, this risk will come back and bite you. Um, and those are, those are some of the things that we end up having to look at. So asking yourself, what is the potential impact of the risk in the future is, is insanely important. And I've got an example of that, uh, sort of in an example question that I just sort of came up with, right? 
So in an example of a multi-data center environment, if you've got forecasted bandwidth for storage replication that will bring the data center interconnect link to 95% utilization up from 15. So if you've forecasted that you're gonna go from 15% utilization to 95% utilization, that is a risk. But what does that mean, right? That because it says, well, we're using it, go on. Well, what now? Uh, so that's fine, right? Well. Not necessarily, not if you can't meet your business objective of having an RPO that an executive wanted you to meet. Not if you can have, not if that uh, saturation of a DCI is going to result in diminished performance for non-storage replication traffic, even with QoS in place. You know, there could, if that RPO needs to be meet, needed, no matter what, right, met, not needed, um, then there may be additional costs that are needed for either increasing the bandwidth or sort of adjusting the executive expectations. So looking ahead into those risks is, is sort of really important. Mitigation plan, make sure you include one. Um, plenty of people can you know, say, hey, here's a risk, here's a risk, here's a risk. But without a mitigation plan, you sound whiny at best. It's like, well, you might not have enough throughput and that's really scary. But if you say, you know what, you're not going to meet your business requirements, and a mitigation plan would be to perhaps negotiate a burstable bandwidth with your, you know, provider or something like that, you know, that, that would be a way you could say, well, this is a way you can work through it, right, without necessarily uh, chucking the design out the window. Um, and sometimes you need to, right? Sometimes I've, I've experienced that where you say, hey, the mitigation is, is somewhat expensive, but at least you have it documented. And the whole point of this is, is during design exercises, when you're looking at transitioning from logical down into physical, um, you need to make sure that you are documenting those decisions well, because they will be looked back on in the future. So basically, I almost end up looking at this almost like a lawyer trying to cover myself saying, hey, we, we flagged the risk, we provided the mitigation plan, and we said this is what it would, you know, what it would be looking back. So one of the things I wanted to cover too while we're talking about looking forward, is it a constraint? Is it a requirement? Is it both? I think anybody that's you know done one of these design exercises has sort of wrestled with the fact that, well, it's kind of both. Um, so I will just be perfectly clear with you on the, on the, um, on the test, the 3V0622 is not, in my opinion, uh, a both type thing. It is a constraint or it is a requirement, and a constraint being a limitation or a restriction, and a requirement means it must do something, or it must be a measurement of a function's success, right? Uh, is it a sum, an assumption is a little bit easier to, to carry out, right? So I've got sort of uh, a quick example, right, of constraint versus requirement. The customer demands that all server-based network integration must interoperate with Cisco switches. Requirement, or constraint. I'll give you a minute to think. I would I would hum the Jeopardy theme song, but I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> I think um, that the word demands is is very clear. <laughs> well, close. Uh, well, we'll talk about that actually at the next slide. Uh, my argument is that it is a requirement because it is based on integration. So all server-based networks, in other words, the NICs, must interoperate with the existing Cisco switches. Uh, to me, that's a requirement, not a constraint, because it's actually saying, hey, it must do something. It must integrate. So it must be interoperable. So that means if it's an SFP-based switch and you buy a, a server with Ethernet ports on it and expect it to integrate, um, you're probably going to have a bad 
time without some adapters, right? Or additional mes cards or something to, to make it fly. So, and the reason, this is, this is the reason why this is so crazy. So Ariel, with the next one, customer demands that all switching hardware acquired as Cisco in order to capitalize on existing investment and management tools. Constraints or requirements? And to me, I yeah. would argue constraint. I would argue constraint simply because it's not saying, hey, what is this doing? It's saying, well, it has to be this badge because without this badge on this particular piece of hardware, it's not going to work with something else we already have. Yeah, it's, um, it's so not it's something. Basically, I'm looking to capitalize on investment. Right. Go ahead, man. Now, I actually love it because, you know, I, I was the guy saying demand basically says requirement, but here you put an example that where it's a, it's a constraint. Love it. We do have a question, though, on, on a past slide. Okay. And um, Robert Kluster, uh, uh says, would you give a score to risks? It might be hard to describe in full all possible impacts and mitigation of risk. Some will be more, way more important than the uh, to the design and customer than others, right? Oh yeah, that's that's absolutely on point. Um, when you're talking about risks and you know which ones are weighted the heaviest, more often than not, um, when I'm going through the design process, I'll end up sort of saving a special tier of risk for what I would call those go no go risks, um, and talk about those right out of the gate. Um, and simply because if there's a chance that a customer is going to go forward with a project and there are so many uh, cost or other constraints that could, you know. In impede the success of the project, I'll talk about those right away, right? And so with, um, let me scroll back actually, when we're looking at design decisions, right, like in the VVDs, there's these design decision IDs, right, where they're basically like three-digit ones, right? Well, I make a two-digit category for this where basically I say these are sort of your primary go-no-go -no -go massive importance risks. Um, and if, they're, if, they're, if they do exist, those are the ones that we bring up immediately, right? The ones that are less, we end up waiting a little bit less and just talk about them in different, uh, you know, sections of the design. But, um, yeah, you're absolutely correct that different risk has different impact for a project. Um, so that's true, right? And the bandwidth example actually did happen to me. I had a customer that had a link that was nowhere near, I think it was a 100 meg link, and they were trying to replicate, you know, uh, a working set of like 16 terabytes of data. And I was like, guys, this isn't going to work, right? It's 250 milliseconds of latency and length. This is not going to work. Um, and so that was one of those like go, no go launches where we're like, this is a massive risk to the project guys. Now it's sure the NIC, the NIC placement in the server, yada, yada. Okay. Yeah. That's a risk too. But like, this is a risk that's going to derail your entire project. Right. So you're absolutely right. There is sort of this tiered, you know, way that you can address those risks and say, hey, these, these ones are maybe more important uh, than other ones, right? So. Awesome, thank yep, you. Yep, and yep, you got it. Um, right, so that last one that we looked at, right, was we looked at it as a constraint. And the last one, customer demands that all storage used only flash disks. Do we think that's a requirement or do we think that's a constraint? You know, it's it's hard because they don't put like a like a performance reason. There's nothing to measure. They're just saying I, I want this, right? So I, I can see how it's difficult to de to define it. Yeah, and it, it really is. I mean, and to me, uh, and you'll be you'll be thinking through your head when you're taking the exam. 
uh, is it what, what what are these is it and i i argue that it's a constraint simply because again it's not a go no go it's simply a customer making a demand that something be a certain way and if that's the case uh, you know if it's something like hey we demand this because we feel safer then that's sort of at least a justification that says okay but now you've constrained yourself to using only flash disks which means your cost per gigabyte in storage is going to go up so if you're only using Flash and you don't have a lot of high-performing workload that all needs to be on Flash, then that's a constraint. So this is, this is really important to keep in mind, right, when you're evaluating risk and being able to determine the difference between these sort of as you're looking forward into the design and saying, all right, that's um, even though this is sort of a, a physical Flash logical design decision, um, you have to be able to look forward with that. Yeah, and then what I like about this one is in an exam, you have to make a decision. If it's a real world scenario, you might ask them why, and, and that maybe maybe you can get more information as to why they want it. But in the exam, you have to pick. <laughs> right. Yep. Exactly. All right. And, uh, from a time check perspective, we're doing all right. We got another 15 minutes, and we're on the last objective. The Rock says, "Know your role." Right. And when we're looking in a business, uh, inside a business. This is exactly it. There's different roles and there's different levels of folks inside of the organization. And we have to understand that different people have different focus into different aspects of the design. So based the, the objective reads based on business requirements, determine the appropriate roles for each staff member. And I kind of didn't like the way it was worded. So I'm not trying to pick apart the exam authors or anything like that, but the, the, this kind of, it's kind of an ambiguous way to say, um, what I we ended up rewording, you know, just sort of reading between the lines, understand the different roles and what they care about. Um, and then sort of backing up to the top of the slide, real world, IT org is going to decide itself who's doing what in regard to operations. In the real world, you will need to make recommendations. It's not like you're going to be like, hey, you know, Gary, the storage guy is going to do this. Um, the, no one's going to listen to you if you're just going to come into an organization as a consultant and say, this is what's going to happen. Or even if you're in-house working full-time, no one's going to say, you know, hey, we're going to throw in this NSX thing. And, you know, Jerry, the network guy, he's going to manage all of it, right? So, I mean, it's the way it ends up working is that the organization itself is going to decide. You just need to understand the different roles as a part of that and make applicable uh, recommendations for who should own a technology stack inside of an organization. So that was what I got from, you know, determine the appropriate roles for each staff member. Um, and I wanted to talk quickly about, you know, what the different levels typically end up focusing on. And the C-level, right, a lot of times it's company execution. The CFO, it's the bottom line, how well the company is doing financially. The CIO, perhaps it's the level of service to the business. The CISO, securing assets, brand reputation, and so on and so forth, down to legal counsel, not getting sued. Right, and I mean, it, the whole point of it is, is that different people have different vantage points uh, on requirements. So a VMware engineer might say, hey, I wanna make sure that I can patch a host without any downtime for my guest operating systems. Well, that's a requirement that's very much focused on the, the VMware engineer providing availability uh, and reliability up the, up the chain, right? And meanwhile, the CEO is like, well, what is that? I don't care, do I have to take a window? That's all I care about, right? I care about execution, and, and the CIO cares about the same thing. Hey, that's, you know, if we have to take a maintenance window, that's decreasing the level of service to the business. So understanding um, the different roles and what they typically end up focusing on is pretty important. 
So I've got um, another sort of set of, I guess, test example questions that I just made myself. Um, and so this one reads, we are expanding our online retail platform to meet the anticipated demand during our peak season. It must not go down during the holiday season and must be able to transact business with the same speed and experience we usually provide, no matter the load. And this is the CEO, right? So what are some of the things that we can pull out of this that we can say, all right, well, what, what does this guy really care about when we're looking at expanding this? Um, what I pulled out of this was he wanted availability and performance, right? He wants it to be operating with the same speed and experience from a performance standpoint and from an availability standpoint, he wants it to be functional, especially during the holiday. So some of the qualifying questions I might ask on this, what is the maximum downtime permissible for the solution, right? So you say it must not go down. Is that two seconds? Is that five seconds? Well, no, two seconds is fine. All right, well, what about 10 minutes? What about 15 minutes? What about an hour, right? I mean, so it's getting a definition, a hard definition of, uh, well, what's your real goal here? Because there's going to be a cost with that goal. Um, some of the KPIs that you end up looking at, right? And the KPI is a key performance indicator. That's going to be saying what is what really matters. What kind of a metric can we tie back to this requirement so that we can do some sort of a you know analytical-based reporting on how well we are actually achieving this? So for this example, it might be uptime in nines monitored with an operations management tool. Um, from performance, we might be looking at, you know, transactions per second and if there's some sort of a QA engineer web checkout workflow to double check and make sure that orders are processing at an acceptable rate. Those are quantifiable ways that we can basically come back to and say, hey, we are meeting your performance requirements, right? So understanding that is, is important, right? So in this example, the CEO is caring about availability and performance. And I have a and Stepping question. forward, say we have... Hold on. Yeah, go ahead. And uh, again, Robert Klusterhoes uh, says, and I'm sorry if you're if I'm butchering your last name. Uh, many companies do not have all these roles, or they don't even understand uh, their, you know, all these roles. I might be hesitant emphasis the name of these roles specifically with a customer, but it may be more valuable to summarize the skill set activities of the role. So he's saying, what if you run into a company that's not a huge company or, or where the roles are not as well defined um you know how do you treat people that way because and especially in, in your in your example you know when the ceo says no matter the load you know, I, I would i would think of quantifying that right so what do you think of, of all these uh, comments correct yeah so i mean that's that's a good point right not every organization has these roles and they're not always well-defined. It doesn't always break down like a test question, right? Um, but the, the sad truth is here is we're trying to pass a test. <laughs> and a lot of, and VMware's focus for the test, right, is an organization that typically has a lot of these roles well-established. So un, still, you still have to understand, even if those roles don't exist in a company, if they do exist, what they're going to be looking at. And then you're going to have to be able to read into, you know, some kind of a scenario and say, hey, based on this scenario, this is what this guy cares about. So um, knowing these roles is just sort of an example slide, right? This is just something I put together to say, hey, this is, these are some of the roles that you can see, right? Um, the important thing for the test is understanding that you can pull out of someone's sort of problem statement, um, what, do they, what do they care about? 
right? What it is they are trying to focus on uh, from from perspective. So, uh, because everyone's going to have a different impact of, uh, they're going to have different cares, right? Someone's just going to be gravitate. I've seen VMware admins gravitate towards security, right? And saying like, oh, it's got to be secure. It's got to be secure. Just because that was the nature of the business that they were in, right? So like everything was focused on security, right? So that's them just simply saying, hey, we place more value on the security uh, bucket than anything else, right? If you've ever been involved in a, a government or military project where you had to work with a disistig, you understand that it's like the disistig is law and it is met or not met. And if you do not meet it, you are not having a conversation further. So those are, so it really just depends on the customer's environment. Uh, like you said, not everybody has these roles broken down into neat little buckets. But being able to pull out of them what they really care about is super important. And that's that's sort of what I'm trying to hit at with this. So regardless of whether or not the roles are collapsed or well-defined, um, all these things on the right are things that people typically care about. But for the test, we're just trying to make sure we pull out what they care about. Awesome. Thank you. Yep, no problem. So in, the, in another example I concocted here, we've got uh, an infrastructure manager for the same Acme retail chain. And he says, we are under tremendous pressure from the CFO to keep costs to a minimum while expanding our infrastructure footprint by several rows worth. Also, it seems like nobody understands that we need to protect all the additional data that this is going to generate. So what did we get from that? So scanning back through it again, right? I see um, costs. Right, he's he's under pressure to keep costs down, so that is one thing that he definitely cares about, and recoverability that he cares. Um, you know, the statement nobody understands. We need to protect all the additional data that this is going to generate. That he's worried about basically ensuring that he can protect the workload while keeping it a low cost. And sound like a familiar thing, right? Sounds like pretty much everybody these days. So you know, recoverability. His job is on the line if he loses production data as an infrastructure manager. So he cares about that. So what are the recovery requirements? And his KPIs might be the RPO and the RTO, right? How fast can you actually perform a test restore, right? Um, and then cost, right? What is the budget allotted is a question I might ask, you know, how can we stay within that budget? And if we can't without risk of, you know, loss of data, then we take and we push back, right? Um, and a, a KPI, a key performance indicator for that one might be total cost of ownership. So with uh, five minutes left, Infrastructure for ants, it needs to be at least three times bigger. I put that in there because this is this is like a lot of conversations I end up having with sea levels because it's, it it doesn't they don't like always comprehend you know why it needs to be at least three times bigger in the, in the movie Zoolander right he throws this on the floor and everyone's like he's absolutely right <laughs> um, it needs to be at least that right in reality it was like completely and totally way emphasized right. So, I mean, that's just to say, like, keeping in mind, you know, as you go down into the physical level of, you know, details of, like, memory speed, you know, uh, OEM selection, cables, cable selection, all this stuff, that you still have to keep in mind the big picture and the impact down the line. And that's, that's sort of the big picture that I got out of, you know, prepping for uh, this talk and, and when I was preparing for the exam myself. I'm, I'm going to open uh, uh, the microphone for Robert. And you should have your, your microphone uh, under your control, Robert, if you want to do any, any further questions. But I, I have to agree with you. The, the memes have been great in this presentation. And uh, I don't know if you want to do any other questions. Yeah, I could, I could listen to another hour of Joe doing impressions from, from movies. <laughs> but 
Um, so I'm, I'm uh, so I'm, I'm relatively new to this to, to watching this series. What, what strikes me, um, and I've had this in the last few episodes as well, is um, I'm trying to I'm trying to get two things out of this. One is obviously, you know, um, pass the exam, right? In the simplest terms. The other one is is uh, I'm generally interested in listening to like the experience of people like Joe. Um, uh, in their, the kind of the engagements they've had, the kind of the kind of situations they've encountered, you know, the way you would actually do a design in real life. Um, the <laughs> the Rolls question is a great example where um, where um, um, you know the, things are way more subtle and grey in the real world than than what you might get on the the VCAP exam. But then for the VCVX, it's more like real life again. Um, there's like these conflicting kind of um, 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 requirements of this material. <laughs> Um, but it, I'm, I'm, I have to say it's 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 very valuable to get the the real world examples. So uh, so thank thanks for those little little anecdotes. Yep. Yeah. No problem. I mean, you're you're absolutely on point with that. That that it, it, it hits the road real quickly with the when you're going for the BCDX. That um, you know a question would popped up. You know why didn't you just you know use a less expensive option? Why didn't you just you know down you know the the software licensing and you know make a compromise that way. You know, why didn't you, you know, think of something else, right? And because it's it's meeting uh creating a design that meets the requirements, right? It's not the fanciest with the most VMware options. Right. So I mean if you can if you can do it with simple, I try to keep it that way. And that's and that's proven well for me in production. Uh and I've had several customers come back to me and say, hey, you know what, thanks for that. Because um, we had to, you know, recover from a failure that was pretty significant, and we knew what to do, and we knew that it wasn't going to be a giant, complicated, you know, mess bomb. So, yep, awesome. And I had another question. Another question about uh, just unknowns. Um, I, you know, you know the, the the famous uh, famous quote. You've got the known unknowns. You've got the unknown unknowns. Um, so especially when it comes to risks uh, and, and the kind of the scope of the engagement you have, you're, not gonna, you're probably not going to be able to identify in detail every single risk and, and associated with that, every single mitigation. Um, you know, you have to, you have to, um, you're going to have to make some shortcuts here and there. Um, and some things are going to be, um, whether they're in your control or not, uh, they're going to remain unknown. You know, you might be dependent on input from, uh, you know, people on the ground, from expertise that, that's not on hand. Um, how do you? How would you usually deal with that? With that kind of that kind of thing? Yeah, no, that's that's a fantastic question um, because I use the analogy that you know we can only recover uncover risks for rocks that we look under. So that's why, as a part of it, I try to end up looking at having those workshops and saying, hey, as a part of these workshops, we're going to try to turn over as many rocks as we possibly can. Um, but it doesn't always end up working out that way, like you said. So I'll give you an example. One customer that that I had, we ended up having to do, um, you know, it was a total backup overhaul project, right? So um, one of the things that we didn't realize until we were about midway through implementation was that for some reason, all of their backups were going through a firewall that they had not disclosed to us about, that were, you know, was absolutely killing the throughput. And we're like, what the heck? Like, there's no, like we spent, you know, weeks troubleshooting why the backups are going so slow. And they're going through a firewall that no one had documented, that no one had pulled out. And this is an example of where we didn't look under a rock and, you know, it ended up being okay. That, I mean, we asked the questions and if we don't get the answers that we want to, that are accurate, um, that sometimes it leads to a problem during implementation or recovery. 
Um, so the answer I always give is look under as many rocks as the design exercise allows you to. Um, so, you know, when I'm doing a week's worth of workshops, I am asking, I am scheduling meetings with, you know, pretty much every department they have available and, you know, grilling them on, you know, how everything's, uh, you know, what are their requirements, how everything looks, um, how everything's set up. So that by the end, I have a pretty good picture of what the organization looks like from not only a technical, but a operational perspective. So, I mean, basically I end up trying to shotgun it and find out as much information as possible to, to help make educated decisions moving forward. And that discovery process is, um, is usually pretty lengthy and somewhat difficult. And coming out of that, I think my you know, fingers are bleeding from typing in Evernote so much. But that's, it's not a good answer, right? But it's like, look hard. <laughs> no, but it's, um, it's honestly... As many it's honestly, of those yeah. risks as you can. <laughs> it's honestly possibly only, the only thing you can do if, if you don't have you know, someone that is really feeding you all these good tips, you're going to have to dig them out, right? So pretty good. Uh, did anybody else want to do a question before we finish uh, for, for Joe? And Joe, I second Robert. This was an excellent presentation. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, no problem, Ariel. Seriously, love to be back. Awesome. Well, uh, I'm going to stop recording very shortly. Uh, thank you, Joe, again for for your um, for your presentation. Again, uh, maybe put again the, the first slide so we can, so people can can know where where to find you. And um, thank you so much. There you are. Awesome. Thank you so much, and we will stop the recording now.